just fun and games? Or is there something behind some of this stuff? So that's some of the questions we're going to get into. But I actually, I did a search on the most popular Halloween costumes. uh, And Google says that some of these costumes that people are searching for are probably harmless. We got dinosaurs, uh, we got superheroes, and <laughs> if, you, if you're wearing a dinosaur costume, um, I'll pray for you because uh, that's pretty geeky. But anyway, um, the number one, you ready? The number one costume Googled this year, 2019, is uh, from the movie It. It's the creepy clown Pennywise. I've not seen the movie, but you look at an image of this guy and it'll, it'll freak you out, okay? Like there's some dark stuff going on there. And in the top five, top 10 of the most uh, Googled costumes, they're really dark costumes, like creepy clown stuff. That seems to be a real popular one, creepy clowns. Uh, But there's a fascination and actually growing fascination with the dead or with the occult. If you're not familiar with the occult, uh, it's really that which is hidden or secret beyond the range of ordinary human knowledge or below the surface of normal life, basically uh, beyond or below the, uh, the five senses, what we can taste, touch, see, hear, uh, smell, all that kind of stuff. There's, it goes beyond that, it really into the realm of the supernatural. That's what you're dealing with with the occult. There's a growing fascination in this. Uh, in fact, TV shows like Most Haunted, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventurers, uh, Ghost Stories, Celebrity Ghost Stories, Long Island Mediums, these things have been growing in popularity over the past couple of years. Uh, if you've dabbled in this, some, some of this stuff, you understand it. There is a growing fascination. They've actually developed apps. Please don't do this when you go home. Don't download it. But they've, de- they've developed apps that will help you search for ghosts. Okay? I don't know how that works. You know, maybe it's like that Pokemon Go thing. I have no clue. But anyway, um, according to the Huffington Post, now, like, there's, there's part, of, part of me in this is like, no, no, no. We live in the 21st century. We don't believe in ghosts, Right? I mean, we're, we're beyond that. We're, we're, we're more intellectual than that. But according to the Huffington Post slash YouGov poll, almost half of Americans believe in ghosts. Or at least spirits of the dead come back in specific places and times. Almost half of our country believes that. Now, not only that, but uh, only 15% do not believe in the afterlife. In fact, uh, 64% are certain there is an afterlife, and 21%, they're not, even, they're not sure, maybe, maybe not. There is, there is a leaning towards supernatural things. No matter what our science books are telling us, there is something where we are all leaning into this. Look, my guess is there are people all over this room in different places. Some of you who think, man, this is all a hoax. It's not real. And others of you that are like, man, there's a demon behind every bush. You know, there's extremes there. But there's some of us in this room that maybe we've had some experiences in life that you just can't explain. I I got a friend, um, a part of this church, actually, who grew up... um, not in a religious family, didn't necessarily, you know, buy the whole religious thing, but had an experience that was beyond what he could explain. His family moved into a house um, that had some pretty spooky things happen before they moved in and didn't find this out until they got out of the house, but they learned that one of the former owners had killed themselves in the basement. And look, I just want you to know, parents, if you got kids in the room today, this is not meant to spook your kids out, okay? but we want to make sense of some of this stuff. They went, anyway, they they learned that in the basement and then um, they went down there one day, he and a a friend of his, uh, and they started hearing noise in a closet that was locked. 
They're hearing noise and they're thinking, man, we, we got to find this out. Now, if you're like me, I would have just run back up the stairs. Uh, but they went after it and they unlocked the door and they found, when they looked in, in the room, no kidding, like there was a chair that was spinning all by itself and then stopped and dropped to the floor. Look, my friend's not crazy. He's actually probably smarter than I am. But some of us in this room have had some experiences that we can't explain. Some of us have had feelings uh, of, of presences around us that we can't explain, things that we, 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 we're not sure what to do with, but it seems pretty real in the moment. So the question for us really is this, what do you do with that? What do you do with some of the darkest elements of this Halloween uh, time? What do you do with some of these experiences that you can't explain? Is it real? Is it not? Is reality just what we can see, taste, touch, hear, and smell? Or is there something beyond? Is there a supernatural element to all of this? So that's really what we're going to get into. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, maybe you can just blink them on on your phones. Uh, that's where a lot of us would go. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, but here's, here's where we're going to go. Uh, spoiler alerts, and we're going to get into this in uh, two weeks from now, in our third week of this series. It's going to be a three-week series. Um, the Bible affirms the supernatural. <laughs> I know. Shocker. Uh, but it affirms the supernatural, and not only that, but not just supernatural good, but real supernatural evil. In fact, uh, Ephesians six twelve says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, just the natural world, what we can sense with our five senses. It's not just that. It says, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here's where we're going to go today. We're going to explore some of these darker elements, okay? We're going to explore this. Uh, there's three things that we want to do today. Number one, I want us to be aware of the battle. I want us to be aware of some of these forces beyond what we can sense with our, our senses. Number two, I want us to be careful, really careful and mindful about these things because it's not just a game, okay? We're going to kind of dig a little bit into maybe some of our stories, some of our past, and really maybe try to unearth some of the oppressive things that dark forces have tried to do in your life and mine. And then number three, I want to give you resources for me and for you to be able to fight this and push back on it, okay? That's where we're going to go today. In our series in total, uh, week one really is this. We're going to be understanding the reality of the battle. That's, that's what we're going to do today. Week two is going to be discerning the lies of the battle because, hint, um, the enemy is after lying. In, in fact, Satan is what we're going to get into next week. We're going to talk about demons today. We're going to talk about Satan today and angels next week as well. But Satan is called the father of lies, so we're going to talk about the lies in the battle. And then last week, we're going to talk about the real weapons to fight with. That's going to be Ephesians 6, talking about this whole spiritual warfare thing. Don't miss this, guys. Like, if this is at all fascinating to you or some things that maybe you've wrestled with in the past, be here for all three weeks because uh, each week is going to build on itself. So uh, I really hope that you get a lot out of this. Okay. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 28. Uh, we've been working through Matthew for a while here. We actually skipped over this story a couple weeks ago uh, because... This is going to be helpful for us when we deal with these realities. So Matthew 8, starting in verse 28. When he, meaning Jesus, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Two demon-possessed guys. We're going to get into that in just a second. But they were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want to do with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? 
Now, some distance from a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. If you guys are uh, animal lovers, this is not a fun, happy-go-lucky story for you, okay? He said, go. And so they came out of the two men and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him, leave, to leave their region. All right, so what did we learn from all this? To begin with, the Bible wholeheartedly affirms the supernatural, and not just the supernatural good, but also supernatural evil. It affirms demonic activity in the world. It affirms demonic activity. Um, the presence of demon activity in this story is alive. And I want you to know that it is very much alive as well in the world that we live in. That's a real thing. The Bible doesn't just tell us this story to kind of spook us or to, you know, give us a, a, a nice, neat little story. It warns us of some of these realities. That's why we read them. So in order to kind of get at what happens here in these guys' lives, before we dig at what happened to these two guys, we have to understand what are demons? What are they? Well, number one, we learn as we, as we comb through this, the, the scope of Scripture here that demons are actually former angels that have fallen. They've rebelled against God Almighty. Uh, when God created them, there was a number of them that actually rebelled against God and went in the opposite direction. In, uh, in Jude 1.6, Jude, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Jude is actually one of the half-brothers of Jesus. Uh, and <laughs> if you're like me, you know that Jesus had a couple of half-brothers, James and Jude. Uh, you come to realize, man, that must have been a really unfair gig, okay? Like if you're growing up and Jesus is your brother, like you just pale in comparison around every corner. I mean, like Jesus makes his room. He makes it like Mary Poppins makes the room. And you just got to be like, well, mom, I just can never measure up. Like, that would just be a really rough growing up. Anyway, this is what his half-brother Jude says. He says, those angels, this is in Jude 1.6, those angels who were once pure and holy, uh, they turned to a life of sin. God designed them to be pure and holy, but they out of their free will rebelled against God and took off in the other direction. They wanted nothing to do with God. Jesus said to his disciples at one point that he actually witnessed their leader, Satan, we'll get into him more next week, falling like lightning out of heaven. He witnessed it. Now, um, John, one of the other eyewitnesses of Jesus in his disciple crew early on, he also records in the book of Revelation, uh, he describes Satan as a dragon who did this. A dragon who swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. Now, is Satan an actual dragon? Well, no. There's a lot of metaphorical language in Revelation. But what he did is when he, when he flung those, those, like a third of the stars down to the earth, what it is metaphorically speaking is that he flung a third of the angels that God created into the world. God created a ton of angels, but a third of them are now demons. They want nothing to do with God, and they're bent on rebellion against the work of God, disrupting his work, doing whatever they can to thwart what God wants to do in the world. Now, we have to pause, all right? Because we live in the 21st century and everything inside us wants to be skeptical about this. If you're watching online and you're not a Christian or if you're not a Christian here, like you're skeptical about this and you should be. But there's three things that I want to challenge us to think about before we move forward in this. 
Number one, as we ask the question, how in the world can we actually accept this? How in the world can we really, truly believe this? Uh, I want us to question three things about our life. Number one, are you living with chronological snobbery? Now look, if you've never heard that term before, welcome to a new term. This is what it means, chronological snobbery. We live in the 21st century and there's part of us living in the 21st century that looks back on everybody in previous centuries as if they are less than. They're not as good as we are. They're certainly not as enlightened as us. In the first century, they were naive. They were stupid. They were gullible. And we just assume because we live in the 21st century that we're far smarter, more advanced, and we get these things whereas they did not. I'm going to show you an element in which that is completely false. But people were really intelligent back in the first century too. Beware of the arrogance in which we come to texts like this. Because just because you live in the 21st century does not mean that you're smarter or better off than anybody who's ever lived. The second one is beware of your Western cultural snobbery. Here's the reality. 90% of the known world right now actually believes in the supernatural. They believe in demons. They believe in angels. They believe in God. 90% of the world, and it's a lot of our Western culture that is highly educated, highly thought and, and like cognitive related, that actually just says, well, I don't know if I want to believe that. But are you acting again in arrogance just based on your cultural situation? Is that possible? Or do you really believe that you are far better and far more advanced than everyone else in the world? I mean, just analyze it because 90% believe this way. In fact, 90% start not as we do by looking at the cognitive and then evaluating experience. 90% of the world starts with what they've experienced and then brings it into the cognitive. Don't just assume that the way that we're wired and the way that we're hardwired by our culture is right. Last thing here is that if you come to this conversation with a prior bias, that God doesn't exist, it's logical for you to believe that demons don't exist too. But if you're like the rest of the world, most of the world in believing in God, supernatural good, it is very possible and even logical to believe in a supernatural evil as well. I was thinking about this and I thought, man, it actually, it takes the comfort of middle-class Americans who enjoy sipping lattes half the week to believe that supernatural evil doesn't exist. You talk to anyone who's had a kid in, this, in the sex trafficking industry that's been trafficked all over the world, and you tell me that supernatural evil doesn't exist. You talk to someone in, in other parts of the world who's lost a kid to child sacrifice by witch doctors, and you tell me that supernatural evil doesn't exist. I mean, how else would normal people like you and me be so duped and so lied to that thousands of them would willingly join the Nazi propaganda and, and agenda and gas to death millions of innocent men and women and kids in the Nazi concentration camps? We're not talking about deluded, I mean, just insane, clinically insane people. They were normal people who became part of what the Nazis did and I think it's truly because there was supernatural evil involved. Have you examined where you are enough and doubted your doubts enough to come to the table with open mind and actually examine the evidence for itself? Now, we don't want to just understand what demons are. We have to understand, well, what do they do? What are demons all about? What do they do? Now, here's what's so interesting about this passage. It begins by saying, when Jesus arrived at the other side of the region, the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came, come, they, they started coming from the tombs. 
It's so, man, this stopped me in my tracks this past week. And I just want you to know that I don't have carte blanche in like understanding the entirety of, of scripture. I'm learning stuff just as you guys are. Something hit me this week that I had never really understood before. When it uses the word demon possession, two demon possessed men, there's actually no word in the New Testament for possession. It's not a thing. It's one of the best ways that we try with our English language to get at what it's getting at here, but there's no word for possession when it comes to demons possessing people. The word, the Greek word in there is actually just a verbalized form of demon. In other other words, it's it's basically these, these two guys were demonized. That's what happens. They were influenced by demons. And there's a very popular thought in our culture right now, uh, in Christian culture, that says, man, if you're a Christian, you can't be demon-possessed. Well, here's the good news and bad news about that. You can't be demon-possessed because that's not a thing. But you can be influenced by demons. We're going to get into that in just a second here. It is demonic influences. And here's, here's what demons are all about, okay? In John 10.10, Jesus talks about how he's come to bring abundant life and help people have abundant life, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the entire work of demons. They come out here to try to confuse you, to deceive you, to steal the work that God wants to do in your life, to kill some of the beautiful things that God wants to do in your life and through you in the lives of other people and destroy the greatness that God wants to do in this world. That's what they're all about. They're here to kill, steal, and destroy. We see that even in this text, don't we? The demons not only have got these guys in a dark place, but when when they look at Jesus and say, please have mercy on us, they then go into a herd of pigs that we find out in math in Mark 5 was about a herd of 2,000 pigs, and they go and destroy these pigs. And not just destroy the pigs, they destroy the entire livelihood of the farmers of these pigs. Demons are out to destroy, period. That's what they do. Tim Keller says the work of demons is seeking to disintegrate what God wants together, disintegrating bodies, disintegrating relationships, disintegrating creation, the world, and disintegrating the environment. In other words, you and I are in a spiritual war. It's a battleground. Every day, every minute, It's a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your heart. It's a battle for the physical world around us. We are in a spiritual battle. That's the reality. It doesn't take a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to understand that disintegration is happening all around us. The families here in America, the family unit is disintegrating. And so many people are growing up in broken families. Our trust in authority and government is disintegrating here in America. Our trust in institutions is disintegrating here in America. There is a lot of disintegration that is happening, and not just here, but all over the world. Disintegration happens. Now, if you're, if you're like me at this point, you say, all right, really? Like, you're just going to blame all the disintegration, all the bad things that happen on demons? Like, are you that kind of a guy? There's a demon behind every bush? Like, that's what you're trying to tell me here? Look. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I thought this was helpful. And for us, we kind of wrestle through this. This is what he said. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's one extreme. The other is to believe to and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Okay? So yes, not everything that happens that is evil is necessarily directly from a demon. You got to take some responsibility for some of the things that happen in your life and around you. 
but it doesn't discount the fact that they do exist. And their whole work is to disrupt what God wants to do. In fact, Scripture's really nuanced. It's complex when it comes to evil. It says it happens in a variety of ways. And we've got, in order to treat the complexity of evil in our life, we've got to understand the complexity of how it got there to begin with, okay? So just going back to this whole assumption that 21st century minds, like we're smarter, we're more advanced, we're clearly better than people back in the first century who were more gullible and believed all this stuff. Uh, not so much. In fact, in the first century, they made clear distinctions between demonic work and just other diseases or illnesses. Check this out. In Matthew 4, verse 24, um, talking about what Jesus was doing, he's, he's you know, wandering all over the area and people started bringing people that needed healing. So it says, news about him spread over Syria, all over Syria, and people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those who suffered severe pain, that's the physical side of things, the demonized, demons at work, those having seizures, that's, that's what our NIV says, but the literal Greek word actually means moonstruck. <laughs> those who are moonstruck, you actually go into Webster's Dictionary, uh, basically what that means is those who are a little crazy, mentally unstable, mentally unbalanced, the lunatics. And so you're dealing with mental illness as well. And then it says, and also the paralyzed. And so what's really important about this is that they didn't just see all of these diseases and bad things as just a cause of the enemy, the demonic forces. No, they understood clearly what was a physical issue, uh, what was a moral issue, what was a mental and psychological issue, and what was a demonic issue. Uh, I came across this this past week. There was a, a preacher by the name of Richard Baxter in the 17th century who preached his amazing message on the causes of depression. 17th century, you're talking about 1600s. But he preached on the causes of depression before they even had a lot of categories for this stuff. And what he says that in the Bible, the Bible has this very complex and nuanced understanding of evil. And he says there is a psychological basis to some of the evil in this world. And some of that psychological basis actually requires different ways to treat that. It requires nutrition, uh, sorry, physiological. That's the number one, physiological. It's like, our, you know, our, our, our bodies. He says it requires nutrition, medicine, or rest. Like that's how you treat some of your physiological issues that you have. There's also a moral basis for some of the evil in the world, kind of dealing with some of the guilt and the shame that we've experienced in life. And that, it requires that you treat it with stuff like confession, forgiveness, grace, all that kind of stuff. Then there's also the mental and psychological basis, really dealing with the emotional issues that some of us have. And you've got to deal with that with love and support and counseling and community. But there is a last one. And there's a demonic basis for some of the evil that we've experienced in the world. And we deal with that through prayer and the word of God. This is helpful. This is one of the reasons why we get into this to begin with. Why, why are we talking about this? Some of us here are going through some battles and are going through some oppression in your life that you can't get free of. Some of us, we've got some mental blocks that we're wrestling with. Some of us are dealing with wounds from our past that people have dealt to us, experiences that we wish we could erase from the ledger of our life that we can't get past, no matter how many times you've prayed through it, no matter how many counselors you've seen, no matter how many physical treatments you've gone through, it just doesn't seem to help and you can't break free from some of this stuff. You just can't seem to do it. And the question that I want to throw out there as just something to explore 
is, is it possible that there is a force beyond nature that's at work there? And until we deal with that, we may not actually get to complete freedom in our life. Uh, I ran across this guy, uh, Neil uh, Neil Lozano, who wrote this book, Unbound, and I highly recommend it. It's a great book dealing with some of this stuff. He, He put it this way, trusting God along with resisting temptation, repentance of sin, renouncing the works of the devil, forgiving those who have harmed us, that accounts for about 98% of our deliverance. Many of us, though, don't find complete freedom until we've gained the last 2%. When we commanded the enemy to leave, is it possible that there might literally be demons from your past that you've got to call out and say in the name of Jesus Christ, you need to leave. And until you get to that place, you may not experience 100% freedom. We're talking about guilt that has remained for far too long in your life. A fear of rejection, a fear of failure, a fear of insignificance, a fear that you never, ever will belong. There's some oppressive things in your life, in my life, that we've got to deal with. And complex evil requires complex treatment, and we have to get at the root of what, what's happening here. What's happening here? So how do you know? Here's one of the questions. How do you know that you're actually dealing with not just physiological, psychological, or, or moral issues? How do you know that you're actually dealing with demonic forces, that you're actually experiencing some demonization happening in your life? Well, here's what I want to I'll pay attention to. Look at the condition of these guys' lives. Look at, what, look at what we find out about them. Ready? They're two demon-possessed guys, demonized. They're coming from tombs. And they're not just coming from tombs, They're violent and in such a way that no one is coming their way. They're coming from tombs, guys. What's tombs all about? Tombs are full of dead things. Are you surrounding yourself with things that are actually not producing life in your life, but are actually contributing to a dead feeling on the inside? It is no lie. It's not a surprise that our culture right now is experiencing much higher forms of depression and anxiety than we have in years past. And not only that, we're, we're experiencing unbelievable levels of isolation in our community. It's rampant. Our community is hurting at deep levels and they're hurting alone. Did you catch that? These guys were so hurting and so uh, frustrated by some of the stuff that they were experiencing at demonization level that they were deeply isolated. So isolated that they were coming out of tombs. What's your state of community like these days? Are you isolated? And even as I'm talking about this, we could talk all day about the need for people to be a part of groups and to to join community, real community, so that people know you and you know them back. But even as I'm saying this, if there's an inclination on the inside of you that says, I will never do that. I would never be a part of a group. I can't do that. They wouldn't love me. I wouldn't be accepted. I wouldn't be, there's something in there that's like, if there's something on the inside of you that says, absolutely not, I would never it's possible that they, you're listening to a voice that's not from God. These guys were deeply isolated. They were hurting themselves. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says that one of the guys was cutting himself and, and harming himself physically in ways that was so violent that nobody wanted to be a part of it. If we, if we didn't go here in our church sometimes, I wouldn't be doing you guys a service. <laughs> And yeah, we're not going to be touching all the touchy-feelies today. 
But there's some of us right here in this room that maybe have had thoughts even over the past week or two that cutting yourself would be a better option than what you're experiencing right now. Maybe for some of us in this room, you've had thoughts that have actually been telling you you are unlovable. Nobody could ever love you. You're worthless. And I'm telling you right now, that's not a voice from God. It's not a voice from God. You've got to pay attention to some of these voices. Here's here's the, the major thing that I want you and I to walk away with today. Whatever you give authority to is going to have authority over you at some point. There is nothing that is value neutral in this world. Whatever you give authority to, whatever you're spending time and resources over and mental capacity over, whatever you're giving authority to, mentally, physically, whatever, like that at some point is going to have authority over you. We think that we're in control in life, but we're just not. Look, uh, if you are past the age of 30 and you want to get in a better physical shape, you understand you're not in control of your life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've had some crazy battles over the past month or two with this whole mouth thing. And every time I want to get in a better shape, it's like, oh yeah, you got another infection. Like, shoot, I'm not in control of my life, guys. And neither are you. What you surround yourself with the things that you give time and energy and mental capacity to, whatever authority you give is eventually going to have authority over you. That's what these guys did. I mean, do you think that at one point, like as they were kids, they just grew up and all of a sudden, boom, demonized, you know, like they just started running for the hills. My guess is at some point they started dabbling in some things they shouldn't have. My guess is they started following a rabbit down a trail that they probably shouldn't have. And none of us at, at, I mean, none of us pursue some of these things that have got a hold on us thinking in that moment that this is going to destroy my life. Like we never get into something and saying, man, how can I destroy my life today? You know, none of us do that. But I've talked to people who have been owned by opioids over the years because when they started hanging out with certain crews and they were in those crowds, they just wanted to belong and that, that, that belonging on the inside of them that just drove them. It's like, man, I want to belong to somebody. They got into that crew and before they knew it, they were dabbling in that and they thought, you know what? I'm better than that. I'll just try it this one time. And that one time led it to two times and then two times led it to four times. Before you knew it, they were hooked. And what he gave authority to actually started having authority over him. For some of us in this room, you've been angry with somebody who's hurt you in the past But instead of dealing with it, you went silent. And in that silence, you let bitterness start taking over. And you said, no, it's not really a big deal. It's not a big deal that I don't deal with it. It's not a big deal that I haven't talked to that person about it. It's not a big deal. And before you knew it, the bitterness monster started growing and growing and growing. And before you knew it, something took over you. I'll never talk to that person. Never. I'm never getting right with that person. I don't care where they are. They, nope. Not going to happen. Whatever you give authority to will actually start having authority over you. Paul said in Ephesians, don't give the devil a foothold. The context in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 26 and 27, is actually the context of anger. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Guys, if there's some people in your life that you need to forgive... If there's anger bent up on the inside of you, I'm telling you, that is one of the number one things that the enemy loves to play with. He loves to play with it. If there's some stuff that you have not dealt with with someone else, you've got to get right. 
because otherwise you'll stay isolated. Now, here's the crazy thing. A lot of us think, man, it's not demonization. These are just stuff that I'm dealing with personally. Here's how the enemy works. He never comes out in daylight and shows himself. <laughs> never. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 15, it says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He says, no, this is a good idea. And he's that little angel on your shoulder that says, yeah, you want this. And you're like, yeah, I want that. He never comes out and actually says, I'm the devil. You need to follow me. Like, he doesn't do that. That's not how he works. Well, he might do it that way. Anyway, look, we dealt with some demons here uh, at a tech issue this morning, okay? We had to pray them away. Uh, anyway, um, he never comes out and just says, man, I'm the devil and you got to follow me. He doesn't do that. He masquerades as an angel of light. And in Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Just don't even go there, but rather expose them in the light. Expose them. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote this fascinating book that deals on an intellectual level with this whole problem of demons. Uh, it's one of the most interesting books that you'll ever read in your life. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, and Screwtape is one higher-ranking demon speaking to a lower-ranking demon called Wormwood. And in it, uh, basically what, what C.S. Lewis does is he, he kind of tries to imagine what would demons try to say to each other if they were counseling each other to try to make Christians ineffective in their life. And this is what he says at one point. Screwtape looks at Wormwood and says, hey, our policy, just want to remind you on this, this is, this is how we do things. Our policy is to conceal ourselves. Don't you dare let them know that we're actually working on this. It's behind the scenes. Don't make it obvious. He's subtle. He says this, the goal is to lead the human to make small steps away from God, to begin to believe small lies as opposed to leading the man to spectacular wickedness all at once, which he may all too easily see as truly evil and turn from it. No, 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 I'm gonna gradually work this in. I'm gonna gradually feed you bitterness. I'm gonna gradually feed you anger. I'm gonna gradually feed you lust. As, as you took one look at that image online and it, it was just a harmless thing. I was just curious in that moment. I just wanted to see it for just one second. Not a big deal, it's not a big deal. And then the next day, you know what? I was just a little curious about that one too. And you, you followed it down that road, and before you knew it, you're now addicted to pornography. He goes on to say that the only thing that matters in the extent to which you separate man from the enemy, the enemy, of course, being God, this is kind of how it works in the book, uh, it, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge man away from the light into the nothing. This is haunting. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. It's gradual. It'll take you before you know it has even gotten there. That's how the enemy works. And so I thought it'd be helpful for us to work through some of these lists of sins and, and ask each other, man, has this got a hold in your life? Has, does this have a hold in my life? In Galatians, it talks about a list here, and it says anger, lust, rage, slander, greed, hatred, jealousy, drunkenness, witchcraft. I mean, have you dabbled in some of that stuff in the past? Have you looked at Ouija boards? Have you, have you just out of curiosity met with a palm reader? Selfish ambition. 
Look, none of us have any intention on being a slave to pornography. None of us have an intention on being a slave to our workplace or a slave to our ambition. It's only because in that moment we thought, man, that'd be a good choice. It actually feels good in that moment to do something. Like it feels good to look at that image in the moment, to overwork a whole week for a moment to get that bigger paycheck and the attaboys from the, the boss. It feels good to doctor yourself up and get all that body image to the place where people actually start paying attention to you. It just feels good in that moment, but, but it's but be careful. Tim Keller says in the beginning, you feel the power much more than you feel the enslavement, but slowly, slowly, slowly over the years, things start changing. What's got a grip in your life, guys? Things that you cannot seem to get free of. Might feel good in the moment, but the enemy works in subtle ways. Whatever you give authority to, whatever you give authority to is going to start having authority over you. That's just how this works. And so the writers of Scripture, they tell us here in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every TV show. Don't believe every cultural habit that our culture pushes on you. Don't believe all these things that you say we're going to get ahead in life. If you just work more, if you get better body image, if you get more money in the bank account, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are actually from God. You know how you do that? Do you know this? Do you know the truth of God's word where you can actually test this? Because look, Satan's, he's, he's a schemer, he's a deceiver. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul adds this. He says, you got to test this in order that Satan might not outwit us. Look, he's not God, but he's got some influence. He's got some power. He says, for we're not unaware of his schemes. Your influences in life are not neutral. Guys, pay attention to the TV shows you're, you're watching. Pay attention to the movies that you're watching. Pay attention to the habits that you give yourself to every week because they're not neutral. And we might be dabbling in some things that are actually taking hold of us in harmful ways. So here's the last one. How do we defeat this? How do we get rid of this? Because maybe for some of you, even in this room, like there might even be some spirits in this room right now, like you know, I'm not talking about demons. There might be some people in this room right now that are, that are feeling really uncomfortable as we're talking about this. Like there's resistance on the inside at a mental and an emotional level. Where you're just like, I, I want to leave. I want to get out of this room. And I'm just like, pay attention to that right now because God actually might want to free you today in a really powerful way. So how do we do that? How do we get free? Here's the whole point of this. Jesus is greater. Check this out. When he arrived at the other side, these demon, demonized guys are coming out of the tomb to meet him. They're so violent, nobody wants to come that way. What do you want to do with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Do you see the posture that these demons come up to Jesus in? They're speaking through these, these guys, but it's not two equal and opposite forces. You've got to pay attention to that. These guys aren't approaching Jesus as if it's Star Wars with like the dark force and the good force. Like you don't know who's going to win. Do you know what they do? Their posture towards Jesus? It's one of defeats already. They come to Jesus groveling, cowering before him, saying, don't, don't mess with us right now because we know at some point you will. In fact, in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus promises, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels and the demons know it. They know they're already defeated. That's probably why doom 
and hopelessness is something that they constantly are trying to feed people in this world because it's part of their life. They're hopeless beings whose destiny is destruction at an eternal level. And they come up to Jesus and they say, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They know it's coming. That's so important because whatever you're wrestling with right now that you can't get freedom of, Jesus is greater. He's always got your enemies outnumbered. And some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. They pleaded. They said, if only you will, because you're so much more powerful than we are, please send us into this herd of pigs. You know what Jesus does? Jesus utters one word. Go. And at the sound of that one word, they obey. Do you know that he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the things that you're wrestling with right now and the lies that are being pumped into your head that you're worthless, no one's ever going to pay attention to you, you're never going to belong, you are so ugly, you are insignificant. Do you know that those pale in comparison to the promises that your heavenly father has injected into you? I have seen you from the creation of the world. I knew you before I even formed you in your mother's womb. I called you beautiful. I came into this world to die for you. You not only belong with me, but I was willing to die so that you would belong with me. You matter. You're more than conquerors. You are God's chosen people, his special possession, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. Don't you believe anything different? And when we cling to Jesus Christ, we have the power and the authority to speak over these lies and kill them completely destroy them. In fact, this is what Jesus says. The war is already over. Jesus has won decisively. It's just a matter of the small battles in our life. In Colossians 2, 14 through 15, it says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And it was the cross that was the decisive blow to the enemy that would never, they would never recover from. But having also disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. And I love this. Like he gives us authority now. He gives us authority to be able to call this out and deal with it and say no in the name of Jesus this will not have any oppression over me anymore first Corinthians 10 13 says no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it there is power in the name of Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now he's giving it to us. That's what he says, that's what he promises. If there's some stuff that you're wrestling with today, dark stuff, I want you to know that in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, that can be liberated today. In just a moment, we're gonna sing, but I encourage you guys, if that's you, if you're dealing with some stuff that you just, you can't get over, you've seen counseling, you've prayed, you've been with people, you confessed it, you've, you've repented, and you still can't seem to get over that crushing fear, man, I want you to come and we're gonna pray and we're gonna just do some battle. Because all of life is a spiritual battle, all of it. And Jesus is amazing. Here's the last thing I'll leave you with. In the Screwtape letters, Screwtape is looking at Wormwood 
And he says, be careful here. Because if there's a believer who actually gives himself entirely to Jesus, super dangerous, watch this. When he, meaning God, when he talks of their losing their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. And once they've done that, he really, this is crazy, when you give yourself entirely over to Jesus, when you've, when you've surrendered your entire life, he says once they've done that, he really gives them back all their personality. And boasts, I'm afraid sincerely, that when they're wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever before. There's some people in this room today that want to be completely themselves again. Not afraid anymore. Not enslaved. Not held back by the bitterness and the anger and the fear and the resentment and the lust. There might be some chains you need to overthrow today in the name and the power of Jesus Christ because there are dark forces out there who want nothing more than your destruction. And Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life. Let's pray. Jesus, my hope today is that you wouldn't leave any one of us in a place where we're chained anymore. And there might be some in this room who are saying, man, my issues are really not that bad. I can deal with it. I can cope with it. But you don't want us to cope anymore. You want us to thrive. And I pray in the power in the name of Jesus that you would meet us here in, a, in this place in such a way, God, that you would liberate us and you'd throw off those chains, that we wouldn't act as the rest of the farmers of the pigs, that when they encountered Jesus, they said, please go away, leave me. I don't want you. I don't want you in our life. God, I pray that that would not be our reaction, but that we would come and humbly submit everything to you, give it all to you, do business, do battle, and trust that when we give everything to you, God, you're gonna give it all back and more free us today and let us be the kind of people that are not only free but help free and help liberate our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers that have been oppressed for far too long we pray that that would be the result of a day like today so don't let us stay the same don't let us stay idle help us to do business today in Jesus name